Greg, I went to a music concert. I went to a music concert that all the youngins are going to these days. This is not true. I don't believe you. What do you mean? I think you hired somebody to go for you. Oh, come on. I believe last week we talked about our uh, our love-hate relationship with midnight screenings. Mm-hmm. I know you and I feel the same way about concerts. Loud, expensive, <laughs> filled uh, with young people. Like, I, we hate it. We hate uh, concerts. How da- so how, how could you possibly go to a concert? Okay, one of those things is definitely true, the expensive part. The young mm-hmm. part, not so much. A lot of moms in the audience, so I'll give, I'll give it credit for that. But okay. uh, I went to go see Pink in concert, or P exclamation point, NK, as she's referred to as some. And it was a blast. I'm sure there's a legal reason behind that. <laughs> it was a blast. It was amazing. She like flew across the stage like Peter fucking Pan half the time. She was like up in the air. She was singing. She was dancing. It was exhausting. There was no less than like 15 costume changes. It was, it was incredible. Okay. I mean, good for her. Yeah. <laughs> Multi multi talented artist does multi does an incredible show. <laughs> Print that page A one. And I mean, I just I was so surprised because I was I was planning to be a fuddy duddy because obviously I'm an old man who doesn't like to go out and do things. I like to just sit in movie theaters and be lame. But no, this was this yeah, was a lot of especially fun. on a work night. I know it was on Memorial Day. Ugh. But you know, she did a salute to the troops, so it was all worthwhile. Yeah, the troops. <laughs> the troops. <laughs> That's how, she, that's how she did it, too. The troops. Don't see an Adina Menzel doing that. <laughs> Ouch. I actually have been to an Adina Menzel concert as well. well as, as have I, and you, you just reminded me, Pink can do the acrobatics, whereas um, what's Adina Menzel's big song from Wicked? Define Gravity? Guess what? She didn't, she didn't come on stage. She came on st- stage singing that song, not Define Gravity. Just, just exit okay, stage left on, or whatever. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You gotta, all right, I feel really bad for Indeed, Anita Menzel, Okay. Because Adele Mincy, you mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot hey, you were making 2013's favorite joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, simpler times. Simpler times. Yeah. I feel bad for her because her shows are obviously designed to be like, you know, like she's an old Broadway pro and she's supposed to come on stage and be a little loose and drunk. But ever since, you know, let it go. Loose and drunk? Wait, wait, I don't think that's Okay. Intention. When I saw her, she was like drunk on Sudafed. Okay. She had a cold <laughs> and she was a blast. All right. But that's not my point. My point is. She obviously, her show is designed to be, like, loose and just, like, a little bit of edgy and adult. And then she has to sing uh, Let It Go from Frozen, and everyone invites their kids now because now they think she's some kind of, like, child singer or something like that. And that's totally not what she is. Poor yeah. thing. What do, you, what, do you think she's Mr. Rogers or something like that? Come on. Well, no, but now she kind of has to be. Let Adele all live these... her life. Exactly. It's all these stupid parents who are like, oh, there's the girl, there's Elsa from the movie. Let's go take our kids to that. It's stupid. Parents are stupid. No more procreation. <laughs> I, you know, Handmaid's Tale can't come soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna steal this joke. I can't remember where I saw it, but next generation is log- is a uh, Generation Z, which mm-hmm. is the logical end. <laughs> <laughs> Until Generation AA comes in. Great spreadsheet joke there. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Solid Thank work. You. Thank you. But John, we're not here to talk spreadsheets. No, but I'm I'm glad we're talking about women, Greg, because women are having a moment right now. Okay. <laughs> In this finally, I, finally, it's her, it's her story. Exactly, it's a woman's time. Deep in the Me Too movement, it's important that we explore films that show the dark side of femininity. <laughs> the dark side. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, come on. We just came out of a, a string of shows where, where it was all old man westerns, mm-hmm. and I think it's fine. It's finally time we we look at a, a strictly feminist tale. I think. Uh, well, is this a feminist tale or a dark warning? When these crazy emotional women are left to their own devices, they spiral out of control. 
That's right. Uh, great. Everybody, this week we watched the cautionary tale. Uh, we don't have to go on. Everyone's gone. <laughs> this week we watched the cautionary tale. Thelma and Louise. <laughs> Louise, oh, yeah, how, how we, we're yeah. just going to be doing Bob's Burgers jokes from now on. Exactly. So this was a fan recommendation. Someone posted mm-hmm. on our, our, our Facebook page requesting that we do this movie. And yes, yeah, um, so we do take recommendations. Please keep them coming. Yes, exactly. And I had never seen this film before, but apparently you have. And again, you did not pipe up, so you <laughs> had it under an excuse to high road me. So there you go. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's my main mission in life is to condescend to you. Yes, this is the fifth movie in a row which I have seen and you have not. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. You're so smart. My name's Greg. Little little context. I saw this back in college. This was a, a film school special. Ooh. Because why? Because you know, <laughs> a lot of his like uh, film history, like a lot of history, is defined by old white men. Okay. And our professor, I'm glad, actually said, you know, why not get a feminist perspective in here? And that's what Thelma and Louise is. It's a it's a it's a proudly feminist movie. I think we'll talk later about how it tries to kind of uh, recapitulate a kind of Western journey, uh, if you will. You know, again, there's you can almost say there's like biblical signs of them like traversing the desert and yeah we'll get into that later um but i just want to read from the wikipedia page here two friends uh embark on a road trip with unforeseen consequences i see it more as a tale of two alcoholic women who slowly lose their minds (laughs) very fair point very fair point if i had to be generous i'd say this movie is dramatically inert for a movie where they're constantly on the run i have no sense of the stakes um I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand this. Movie. <laughs> no, I, no, John. I'll I'll explain it to you. I'll save you here. Okay. Right? Already you, lost all you. our listeners, but I'll try to bring them back. Okay. Again, I'm glad that my professor showed me this movie. Mm-hmm. I've, I we welcome you and I gladly welcome like more kind of feminist visions, more uh, movies, stories about girl power, and just the the enfranchisement of women. And women deserve better than Thelma and Louise. I think no. you will agree. <laughs> well, it's funny you're characterizing because, as yeah, that. It's not a feminist movie. It's not a feminist movie at all. You don't think so? It's about two criminals. They, <laughs> they kill people. That's just on the surface level, John. John, you're again. You need to watch this in college. There's okay. a lot going on underneath, and, oh. and whether whether underneath is espousing a lot of good things, and whether yes, the story really brings those ideas to life is is where the issue is. Like okay. you and I are going to judge this as just a regular movie, not all the kind of cultural weight and and uh, value that it brings, but again, just as a as a technical movie. All right. As I techni- from that standpoint, yeah, and from that standpoint, I think we already agree that yeah, it's it doesn't work. <laughs> something's something's gone. Something's somebody's lost a screw here. And oh, it could I be thought you meant techni- Oh no, I thought you meant technically. Technically, it's fine. Everything's in focus. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the camera's always working. Uh, the lighting's yep. fine. It's in color. The yep. cinematography's fine. The acting. The editing's is- great. I was going to commend the editing. Well, it did win Oscar for best editing, didn't it? Well, I think it was nominated. No, I think it won. Wasn't it? It won. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's the only thing it wants. 
I mean, it was up against Silence of the Lambs, so what do you expect? Well, no, it also won for Best Screenplay. No, it won for Best Screenplay, oh. nominated for Cinematography. Damn it, now I look like an idiot. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> I know, I know. It doesn't. It happens rarely. But... <laughs> Again, likes to high-road me. This is what I have to deal with on a daily basis, folks. <sighs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's like an abusive spouse, this credit. <laughs> yep. I'm the Daryl in this situation. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of story... <laughs> Yeah, so the story starts off simple enough. Uh, two gal pals, they have a they have a weekend getaway planned. They're going they're mm-hmm. going camping. Well, they're going uh, well glamping in today's term. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll update the vocabulary. They're going glamping. Somebody, um, an acquaintance of uh, Susan Sarandon's character, she plays Louise, has mm-hmm. a. Um, and this is where we'll get into the feminist critique, <laughs> has a lodge that they don't want their wife to get in the divorce. So mm-hmm. she's he's renting it out to everybody, and now it's Louise's turn. Mm-hmm. And Thelma, whose husband is is pretty controlling, um, is not inclined to let her leave for the weekend, so she just kind of like runs off without asking permission. Ooh, scandalous. Yeah, I do the same thing for work, by the way. <laughs> I don't announce when I leave. Good, good, good. There's your there's your feminine power coming to the forefront. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I am women. Hear me roar. I am leaving early because of my period. John, come on. We gotta let's keep people. Let's keep listeners. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, as they're going off to this camping trip, they uh, stop at a little roadhouse. By the way, this movie's like almost too specific to where it's taking place and the time really? frame. I thought so. Honestly, I, too- I had the exact opposite reaction. I thought there was something about a timeless and kind of placeless quality to this, because later we learn through through details, like kind of background details, this is taking place in Arkansas. Everybody has kind of like a twangy southern accent. <laughs> See that? But there was that- something about it that I found so, in spite of the, you know, technology, like, you know, running running out of the kitchen with a cord full phone. <laughs> And then taking a selfie. Again, another vocabulary thing. Selfies didn't exist then, but they take a Polaroid. <laughs> a Polaroid selfie. Whatever, bro. And in spite of that, I found it... I, I was really absorbed in the first, like, 20 minutes. I thought it I thought it really was timeless and placeless, but you you seem to disagree. No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a anti-Southern bias or something like that. But most <laughs> of it comes down to the score, which, you know, Hans Zimmerman is obviously a very talented uh, composer, but I've, I, I just feel like sometimes he's just too on the nose. And so every second of this movie is, you know like filled up with either twangy guitars or harmonicas or like this bad synthy kind of quality to it that just annoyed me and i don't know i just like i think on its own this score would be fine but i don't think it really matches the tone of the film and just the whole time it's like wow 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 and i kept expecting like when are they gonna end up at a roadhouse with a mechanical bull it's like i was waiting for it to hit all the tick marks because it, it just felt like cliche nothing felt like a surprise it's like they're driving through the desert they're gonna run into truckers they're gonna run into you know old southern people like i don't know i just it didn't feel authentic to me but i'm sure okay. maybe if it is i don't know oh yeah i mean maybe it just if you're if you adjust your perspective you're thinking okay this is kind of a a reframing of the western narrative or something like that set in contemporary america and now with women mm-hmm so maybe then you can like say like okay the music is kind of reflecting that. Yeah, I guess. But again, it's just like it I felt it was too on the nose so therefore it was distracting. Boys. I'm getting mad. Okay, but where are we going? Oklahoma City. Jimmy's going to wire me some money and then we're going to Jimmy. Where we're going. You talk to him? 
Did you tell him? What did he say? Is he mad? No, I didn't tell him, and that's what we gotta get straight now. Daryl's been calling Matt as a horn and making all kinds of noise, and when you call him, you gotta not tell him anything about this. You gotta just make sure everything sounds real normal. No, I called that asshole at 4 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't even home. I don't know what he's got to be mad about. I'm the one who should be mad. Thelma, I'm going to Mexico. Now, I figure I can make it in two and a half days, but I'm going to have to haul ass. Are you up to this? I mean, I got to know. This isn't a game. I'm in deep shit, and I got to know what you're going to do. Well, John, what, what happens at this roadhouse? <laughs> The women get rowdy, and the road trip continues apace. <laughs> Nothing's going wrong here. Not quite. Thelma gets a little too friendly with a with a little uh, barfly. You know they have. Well, a this good... is well. They both get a little drunk. They have like five shots and three margaritas. And <laughs> exactly. Whiskey um, on the rocks. Not that we're blaming anybody. They're no, allowed not... to have their good time. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. You said that. I'm not. No, you're the one who was. Impl- I didn't even mention that they got drunk. Okay. It was you. Okay. Uh, We're no, not blaming anybody. F- we'll get we'll get to those single serve bottles that that uh, <laughs> Gina Davis's character is knocking back later. But anyway, Thelma gets a little uh, friendly with a local barfly, and mm-hmm. uh, she kind of starts like uh, feeling a little sick. So they step outside, and that's when uh, this man gets real handsy, and uh, things get a little heated, and uh, turns very quickly into sexual assault and, and near rape attempt. But thankfully, Luis is there to kind of save the day. Uh, threatens her with a gun that we saw um, Thelma take from her husband earlier in the film. Although, is it technically her gun? I don't remember. I don't care. Well, <laughs> as they explain, again, we'll get to the kind of the construction. I think the screenplay is fine. It's, well, we'll get to the construction of the story later. But mm-hmm. uh, Thelma takes the gun because um, we should we should also explain they're well characterized in these first twenty minutes. Thelma is kind of a doting housewife. Um, again, she's too timid to even ask her husband like whether she can go out. So mm-hmm. she's trying to cut loose. Yeah. During this weekend, whereas Louise is a little bit more reserved, a little bit more uptight, as Thelma describes her. So obviously, she doesn't want to have do have anything to do with this man, and but is strong enough to defend her to defend her friend when this comes up. Exactly. Also, she's a waitress at a diner, so you know she's sassy. <laughs> Again, you're you're hung up on the cliches. I, <laughs> I am very hung up on the cliches. Thank you very much. No, I like I like the little moments of her as a waitress, like her interacting with the younger customers, saying, "Don't smoke; it'll ruin your sex drive." Cut to she's uh, Susan Sarandon smoking. <laughs> That's a nice little clever bit of foreshadowing, I suppose. Um, yeah. So the way the scene kind of plays out, though, is kind of interesting. Uh, it's an attempted rape. Uh, Luis kind of comes in with her gun and stops it just in time. But then the guy kind of is unapologetic and makes a comment, and that's when Luis turns around and shoots him. So it's not quite self-defense, and it's very important that it kind of plays out that way for the rest of the film. And I do kind of, that is kind of, I do appreciate that, because again, it does give a little bit of a harder edge to it and kind of a little more, less of a black and white morality to it. Is the fact that it wasn't like it's not she caught him in the act, but it's not like it was a moment of passion. It's kind of like she turned around and kind of almost shot him in cold blood. Okay. I mean, what, what, <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't change the fact that it's murder, and where the movie kind of goes from here, I don't know if it really captures that spirit or tone. That well, it does lead into our third third character. We have another we have another character to really introduce, and that's Harvey Keitel's detective. 
Yes, exactly. So after, uh, you know, this body is discovered, Harvey Keitel is the man on the case. And so he's pursuing these two women as they try to get to Mexico. I don't what At what point do they decide they're going to go to Mexico? Uh, after their first stop, they stop for some coffee and Susan Sarandon, she's got priors. So she's, I'm, I'm off to Mexico. Forget it. Forget it. Exactly. You can go home if you want, but I can't, I've got too much heat on me. This is strike three. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, okay. So the catalyst for the plot is a murder, regardless of yes. how justified you find it. Um, and then the rest of the movie still kind of maintains this kind of like buddy road trip kind of vibe. And it just doesn't quite well, gel for me. Exactly. Yeah, the initial scenes after that, like I, I was really kind of captured by these first twenty minutes, where it was just uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. I thought the tone was very lighthearted, and I thought like, okay, this is something different. I'm seeing, you know, just two friendly women kind of taking charge of this moment in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then it's the rest. The like, yeah, the next two scenes are kind of have this thriller component, or the they're. Their, com- their dialogue gets very stilted. Again, we start following Harvey Keitel's character, who's this hard-boiled detective who, as we see later, will soften up to these two women mm-hmm. um, who thinks they're just desperate. I mean, we'll get to the police procedural aspect later. Okay. But, yeah, you're right. And then it it kind of goes back to its kind of lighthearted tone. Like, we we kind of forget about the murder because, again, he was a jerk. Who cares? Exactly. But, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it kind of maintains that, especially when we bring in another major character played by Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Who's this kind of drifter, con man, that kind of thing. Yeah, and this is where it gets a little maybe too fantastical. Or, like, I wish it had just stayed that down-to-earth, realistic, you know, but kind of like, you know, fun, spirited movie about just two women. But mm-hmm. here it gets into kind of schlocky territory. <laughs> and it becomes like a like a ridiculous kind of action, not action, but just kind of like this ridiculous American adventure. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You can't kind of square those things. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is like you said, in the first 20 minutes, they're very well characterized. But I felt like for the rest of the movie, the two actresses could have swapped roles and no one would have noticed. They kind of like lose their individual personalities. And maybe that's kind of the point is the fact that they're now so kind of uh, compatico. They're so kind of in sync that. But it's like. I wish there was more of a kind of contrast and more of a conflict between them. Like, I would have liked to see them kind of rub up against each other. Because there are conflicts that happen in the plot. You know, their money gets stolen, they uh, face adversity, and they start fighting. But nothing ever really comes of it. No, and there are touches of that. Yeah. Thelma feels blamed for what has happened. Mm -hmm. Because she's the one that that was canoodling with that guy and... You know, has resulted in this whole running from the law thing. There are later, there are later events where she kind of takes law into her own hands, and again exacerbates the whole situation. Exactly. But the problem is that that drama is never really brought to fruition. And when it is, I actually, I don't, I, maybe that's not exactly what audiences wanted. Director Ridley Scott is a <laughs> director who does <laughs> want to give audiences exactly what they want in mm. a very kind of commercial way. So. And these moments kind of, you know, they do make you cringe a little bit because you do want, you know, these friends to get along. So I don't think the movie really wants to confront those, that kind of darker element where, say, Louise blames Thumba for what has happened or they do split up. Exactly. And mm-hmm. again, that would have been like really interesting, though, and really raised the dramatic stakes. Instead, they kind of like fight and then they're on the road again and everything's fine. And it would have been nice if they like maybe the uh, kind of unimplied or the kind of uh, understated comment of it all is the fact that they have to stick together because now they're both wanted by the cops. It's like, if they split up, they ruin their chances. So they kind of have to stay together. 
And, you know, that would have been a more interesting dynamic. That's the dynamic that I loved about the good, the bad, and the ugly, is the fact that they're kind of, like, forced together, even though they don't like each other. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me something, Mr. Thelma. How's you ain't got any kids? I mean, God gives you something special. I think you ought to pass it on. Well, Daryl, that's my husband. Daryl? Yeah, he says he's not ready yet. Says he's still too much of a kid himself. Kind of prides himself on being infantile. Got a lot to be proud of. Louise and him don't get along. No, that's putting him mildly. She thinks he's a pig. I know he's a pig. Did you get married real young, Miss Thelma? Well, I guess 18's kind of young, but we'd already, been, we'd already been going out four years when we got married. How, how long? Four years. I've never been with anybody but Darren. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, if you don't mind me saying so, Sounds like a real asshole. It's okay. He is an asshole. Most of the time, I just let it slide. Well, John, I mean, maybe you could talk to Carrie Callu. I mean, I've been, I've been, I left her so many voicemails, and she still has not no, gotten no. back to me. So many emails. <laughs> yeah. okay, please call me. I'm so lonely. Well, you did give you did give out a great idea for the uh, Broadway revival of the show. <laughs> Where whoever they cast as Thelma and Louise can, a la uh, John C. Riley and Philip Seymour Hoffman in True West, f- switch roles every night. Ooh. That way, audiences have to pay to see it twice. <laughs> Do you really expect people to come by the next night to see the show again? Y- yes. <laughs> Great. Shout out, Barry. We yep. talked about that. <laughs> God, I love that show. Anyway. But John, how dare you say it's dramatically inert? All right, when when we spend the next five hours in a motel. <laughs> well, it's funny you you like you're right about the Harvey Keitel thing. It takes up a lot of screen time, but also there's no real dramatic stakes for that either. Like we're kind of again, you you hit it right on the head. It's a police procedural, so they're going about the procedure, and. Yeah. You're right, Harvey Keitel's character eventually does kind of soften to them. And it's funny because when he's interviewing uh, Brad Pitt's character, he's kind of the bad cop to Stephen Tobolowsky's good cop. And then as soon as they're dealing with Thelma and Louise, it totally shifts. Like, then Harvey Keitel's being like, I need to talk to them. I can talk them down. It's Stephen Tobolowsky's character. I'm just going to call him Stephen Tobolowsky. Um, he's the Beloved one character actor Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Beloved character actor Stephen Tobolowsky is the one who's like, you know, no, you're out of here. You're This is out of your jurisdiction. This is my ju- this is my case now. You know, he's like the FBI yeah. guy. And it goes through that whole cliche of like, whose jurisdiction is this? You know, <laughs> So well, more than that, I mean, boring. you could, <laughs> exactly, you could, if, if we're just going to look at the Harvey Keitel character, mm-hmm. the idea is that he's a cop who's also, like, kind of empathizes and, you know, softens to his vic- to the people that he's pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, a, you can, you can criticize the, perhaps, realism of that, because <laughs> I don't know any cop that doesn't, that, you know, less doggedly pursues their uh, victims, unless they're old, rich white men, <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like we we only see like one one moment of we're only shown one moment of that when it's really it's when he goes to I believe Louise's house. Yeah. Just as part of the investigation, and sees like her old family photos and and her as a as a young woman, mm-hmm. like those kind of moments like do soften him up. But again, that's only one moment in as you said maybe about geez thirty at least thirty minutes of screen time that were devoted to this guy. Yeah, it felt like a scene was like missing. Like there should have been like a one on one scene with Harvey Keitel. 
and uh, Daryl's character or something, or uh, Charles, what's his, that, what's that actor's uh, name? Christopher McDonald. Uh, yeah, Christopher McDonald. Shooter McDonald. Yeah, Shooter yeah, McGavin. Shooter, to... Shooter McGavin. That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> to, to young, to young men like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who grew up on Adam Sandler comedies. There should have been like a scene between them where he kind of like sees what a dope this guy is and how much Thelma had to put up with being married to him. And oh, we get enough of that, <laughs> I guess. But it's like, yeah, he's kind of. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird role he's playing because he's like, yes, he's kind of a shitty husband, but he's also too much of a rube to be kind of evil. Well, that, it speaks to the other problem in that you you want to you want to give these female characters like all this texture, and you want to and you want to be so different in terms of like you know reframing this American adventure with two strong female characters. Mm-hmm. But the problem, the problem is the the rest of the time you just make uh, the rest of the characters kind of stereotypes, or you you characterize them so thin, so thinly. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a minute. Tell a character. You're telling me th- that the trucker who they keep running into <laughs> was a stereotype? How dare you? There's so many layers to him. Well, the way he points at his to- dick and then licks his lips. You know, come on. <laughs> well, first I wanted to speak to Christopher McDonald's character. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get to the trucker. Exactly. We'll get to we'll get to that wonderful portrait of the uh, the mentally handicapped. But anyway, <laughs> as, as I said, Harvey Keitel's character is so thin. Like there's no other there's nothing else to him other than just his dogged well dogged in quotation marks pursuit of these two women. Mm-hmm. And then Daryl, like we never see anything else about Daryl other than him being a neglectful idiot husband. Exactly. And then so we- again, like what it, what exactly are you saying? Like just <laughs> either stick to the women or try to carry, make this a richer portrait. Like don't don't give us one of the again. Don't make it a ridiculous schlocky action garbage. <laughs> well, no, and there is one there is one kind of uh, character developed who kind of makes it more interesting, and that's Jimmy Michael Madsen mm-hmm. because he has a relationship with Louise, and she know he knows Louise is on the run. And he even forwards her money, and he even chases after her and like begs her to marry him with like a wedding ring, and she turns him down, and he eventually like leaves kind of brokenhearted. I thought that was actually very interesting, because well, again, like it's not. I like... should hope so. We spent five hours in that motel. When something <laughs> interesting has to happen. And no, Brad Pitt's abs do not count as something interesting. <laughs> Ooh, speak for yourself. Um... <laughs> But he's, like, he's the only man of the piece that's not, like, kind of a stereotype and has kind of layers. We see him kind of, like, get angry and throw a chair across the room. And it's like, oh, that implies that he might be, like, abusive or something like that. But it's like, mm-hmm. Luis talks him down. Or at least he has down. a violent temper. Exactly. Yeah. But Luis is able to handle him and, t- and like, tear him down. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, like, it's an interesting relationship with all these kind of interesting shades to it the fact that he's like kind of begging her to like you know turn herself in and so they can like maybe have a normal life together and she says no and again it kind of like he ends up leaving and it kind of goes nowhere because he just gets interviewed by the police and then he's gone for the rest of the movie (laughs) exactly and I think this movie has some great casting. It, le- it has a lot of actors leave an impression, a la mm-hmm. Michael McDonald as <laughs> the stupid Daryl. But mm-hmm. something about Michael Madsen like just didn't leave an impression on screen. I mean, that's just Michael and, and Madsen it, as like, an actor. Yeah, there's a great character. Yeah, there's a great character here, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just Michael Madsen just didn't just left nothing for me. Maybe if they recast it, maybe they put Brad Pitt in that role or John Travolta. Hey, sure. <laughs> 
He he's, his, he's playing his brother, finally. <laughs> exactly. It would make so much sense. <laughs> Even before Pulp Fiction revitalized his career, he could have been here. Think about it. Yeah. But, John, you want to get to the trucker, don't you? I, I, what the, okay, it just doesn't make sense, because why do they? Well, how does he end up in front of them half the time <laughs> when they're the ones driving all night? Hmm? Explain that. Yeah, this is the, yes, this is the, uh, this is the, I guess, the comic relief <laughs> in our lighthearted adventure, because we, we so desperately needed it. Yes, they keep running into this, uh, let's say, misogynistic trucker. They keep ending up behind him and driving around him, and then he makes suggestive comments and poses and things like that. Yeah, and he's also carrying... He's, his freight is a big tank of gasoline, yeah. which comes in later. He even has sexy mud flaps, so, you know, yeah. again, many layers, oh, many well, they, layers. They make a point to... Yeah, so... Again, you 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 found uh, for some reason you don't find that this to be a feminist tale. <laughs> However, if there's one if there's one scene or at least a couple of moments where it's cranked to I don't know twelve, <laughs> maybe fifty or something like that on the dial, it's these scenes where like like ugh, he's got those sexy lady mud flaps. <laughs> exactly. How unoriginal. Uh-huh. And, and then, then they finally do stop together, and he gets out of the truck, and it turns out that he's completely inarticulate and perhaps mentally challenged. <laughs> So they they, they, they get him to pull him over. And, you're you're yeah. you're also missing the point where they get him to pull over under false pretenses, implying that they are going to fuck him together or something like that. So obviously him being a dope, he's like, oh yeah, sure. He even like pulls out like a ring of like fucking condoms, like yeah, I'm gonna need all of these. Um, and well, yeah, third time's the charm. I mean. <laughs> But again, it's like, and what do they do? They just chastise him for being rude to women. It's like, you shot a rapist earlier. I do. <laughs> John, come on, let's not let's ignore context here. <laughs> okay. Oh, excuse me, you're right. I'll, if I ignore context, then everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Like, it's it, this movie's so kind of desperately lacking in nuance. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I mean, compare that to every other you know misogynistic movie out there. Like I think it's fine that you know we have this kind of like feminist tale, mm-hmm. but it, it, again, females, women deserve better. <laughs> is all I'm saying. Especially this scene, which is just which is just embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, it did give us because again, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And the guy's performance is embarrassing. The dialogue, the fact that they harangue them in like this college student fantasy where like you know you don't treat women properly <laughs> exactly is embarrassing and then yeah they destroy his livelihood by you know blowing up his his truck <laughs> i mean at least it had an excuse to have an explosion in the movie so i gotta give it credit for that exactly ridley scott knows what to give the people mm-hmm. but yeah that was the that was a low point for me yeah we think you have really bad manners <laughs> yeah where do you get off behaving like that with women you don't even know huh <laughs> huh How'd you feel if somebody did that to your mother? Or your sister? Or your wife? Huh? What are you talking about? You know good and damn well what I'm talking about. I mean, really? That business with your tongue? What is that? That is disgusting. And oh, my God, that other shit a pointing to your lap. I mean, what is that supposed to mean exactly, huh? I mean, does that mean pull over? I want to show you what a big, fat slob I am? Yeah, or does that mean a- suck my dick? You women are crazy. You got that right. We think you should apologize. I ain't apologizing for shit. You say you're sorry. Fuck that. You say you're sorry, or I'm gonna make you fucking sorry. Oh, Jesus. And speaking of giving the people what they want, let's get to the end. (laughs) 
because uh, again, we kind of very very light on the details, but it is somewhat of a police procedural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, for a woman who committed a single murder in self-defense and one armed robbery, they send by my count, hang on, I wrote it down here, 89 police units, four helicopters, <laughs> and about 15 military units. This was his homage to Blues Brothers, okay? That's what it was. <laughs> and again, this is an absurdist comedy, so obviously it was appropriate. <laughs> Alright. I, I thought it was there. I mean, come on, it's just two women. It's not like a, two black guys waiting in, in <laughs> Starbucks. There's no reason to send the cavalry. hi <laughs> Hey, next exit, Commentary Road. (laughs) So yes, nine million. I mean, just for the pure spectacle of it, I do think it's kind of worthwhile. You get that great uh, helicopter shot of their little uh, blue Travel or whatever it is driving through the desert. It's a Thunderbird, John. It's a come on, get it right. Oh, excuse me. Oh, it's a Thunderbird, you know, nineteen sixty-six Thunderbird, I believe. Oh God. You know, the Thunderbird driving through the desert and uh, six cars mm. perfectly aligned in pursuit. You know, that's just a great shot right there. Again, yeah. Ridley Scott, if nothing, is a great technical artist. He mm-hmm. knows how to compose. He knows how to make a shot look great. But as a storyteller, I don't think he's got the chops. Or as that's... an artiste, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a little uh, John, mean. you're going on a, li- a big limb there. Come on. Uh, this is beloved artist, Ridley Scott. <laughs> This is the guy who gave us Gladiator. I know. The guy who gave us Prometheus. <laughs> uh, but obviously this is famous for its ending. It's uplifting ending? Um, I guess because they kind of go out like Bonnie and Clyde a little bit. Well, you have to see Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> to get that analogy right. But <laughs> I know how Bonnie and Clyde of, ends. Let's, let's use the okay. cliche Blaze of Glory. Okay, yes. Uh they're obviously so they're cornered. They're in the. They wind up in Utah, even though they're headed to Mexico. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, they're at the Grand Canyon. They say they're at the Grand I, Canyon I, at the end. I know, but it wasn't filmed. The, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Again, the details don't matter. <laughs> okay, all right. They're dumb folks from Arkansas. They probably thought they were at the Grand Canyon. Come on, they're clearly in Monument yeah. Valley. Let's not let's not mince yeah, words here. And they have a map for <laughs> classic women. Don't know where they are. <laughs> Don't leave them the map, fellas. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about. Ladies, okay, take a break. On. Guys, we're almost done with our discussion. Please stay with us. <laughs> I love how you assume people are like tuning in and out like a radio station. <laughs> <laughs> they are. That's the thing with on-demand entertainment. you got to keep them hooked. <laughs> okay. Anyway, why do we even explain? Event, yes, they know they... how it ends. <laughs> Yes, I know. They famously drive off the cliff, and there's a freeze frame, and the the score, you know, just a choir a choir of angels, you know, sings mm-hmm. them off to heaven. <laughs> exactly. And Harvey Keitel in slow motion chases after them, like no, and it's already too late. Yeah, Ugh, it's those sexist attitudes that drove them over the edge. <laughs> and you're right. Uh, yeah. So you didn't think it, you didn't find it uplifting. Well, and again, because I haven't bought into the whole premise the whole time, so I really don't think that the ending is okay. going to spare me. <laughs> Yeah, it did feel like a like a complete. It just felt like a complete, you know, bring around to the fantasy of it, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. Again, we started so strong with that kind of familiar, not familiar, but again, I was I was really absorbed in these two characters in the first twenty minutes, and, and it's not until this, you know, ridiculous the ridiculous circumstance later, mm-hmm. as um, unforeseen consequences, as the Wikipedia page describes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, I didn't really buy into the premise immediately. I didn't love the first 20 minutes as much as you did. So obviously when it came to the rest of the film, I just wasn't as invested in you. So I can't really say that I uh, enjoyed myself watching this film. Again, it's too broad. It's too silly. I don't know why people consider it a feminist anthem. 
I mean, well, because they blow up the trucker's thing or whatever, and they told them off. <laughs> Duh. They shot a rapist, okay? I can't believe you're not picking up. I know. I can't believe you're not picking up on these little, <laughs> these subtle clues here. <laughs> and I don't know. There's just not enough, there's not enough character interplay. There's not enough dynamics. There's nothing really dramatically that kept me interested throughout it. So when it comes to the kind of final blaze of glory, I was just like, okay. I mean, how else was right. it going to end? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you about that, and it leads into my next topic of discussion. Okay. John, I'm ready to blow your mind with an incredible comparison. This reminded me of the Shawshank Redemption. That is an interesting point, because I was going to say this reminded me... Well, this movie reminds me of a lot of better movies, but you make your point first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll make my point first, because it's about... um, it's about a platonic friendship Mm -hmm. between um, two kind of crime-adjacent people, let's say. Yeah. The, the the nature of their backstory and the crime isn't what really matters as much as it is the friendship. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's something to the fact that the Shawshank Redemption speaks to us as males <laughs> when there are literally no other women. In the, the only woman in the movie gets shot and killed <laughs> um, for being a, a lying whore. <laughs> in the first two minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. But also kind of it's um, unambiguous happy ending. Yeah. Where they reunite and they realize their dreams out in Mexico. Here, the ladies in in Thelma and Louise don't quite make it there. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's like something that you know women can maybe identify more the the kind of glass ceiling than ever kind of reaching that full fruition yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that I hope that society does change in the very near future and we can have a vision where yeah that um, you know Thelma and Louise do wind up in Sebastianeo. So <sighs> there goes Greg Virtue signaling signaling yeah. again. There we go. Exactly, <laughs> ladies, I'm here for you. All right. <laughs> So I was going to say, this movie actually really reminded me of Fargo. Okay. Um, because on the surface, they're both very simple stories with very simple themes. And and maybe it's a personal preference of mine, but I feel like Fargo is just so much more textured and the world just feels so much more kind of lived in. Whereas here, again, I just never bought into the whole, like, quote-unquote, authentic Arkansas lifestyle. Where it's like, everyone's talking like this and they're out in the <laughs> desert, you know, <laughs> shooting rattlesnakes. <laughs> And again, maybe it's a personal preference or something like that. Because again, I remember thinking the same thing about JFK. I'm like, this is just like bad stage acting. What's going on? But again, it's a very simple morality tale with very simple themes. That's why the layering and the surface texture of it all kind of comes to the forefront and why that's so important. And because I never kind of bought into that as opposed to Fargo, which I was comple- I'm was i completely engrossed in and I love that movie to this day. That's mm-hmm. why I completely buy into that story, even though it is very simple. And again, the story, the characters aren't exactly particularly deep, but again, it's got all that texture, it's got all that richness to it. Whereas, like this, this movie's just lukewarm milk. It's just nothing. Nice. There. It's just curdling, just curdling out in the sun. Go. You sure? Yeah.
And John, I again, I'm not sure I agree with your analogy there. I mean, you, it sounds like you think that feminism is just curdling milk, <laughs> just ready to poison its next uh, its next victim. I mean, what do you think boobs are for, hmm? guys? <laughs> I invite you to my insult page. I have I have a manifesto up there that you need to read. Yeah, this is unvirtue signaling you're doing right here. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, again, I'm sorry, because I feel like I would love to see more kind of women-centered stories. But again, they they deserve better than Thelma and Louise, I think. Oh, <laughs> I absolutely. I think you'll agree. Well, but here's the thing, Greg. You won't believe it, but we have a segment towards the end of the episode. What? Where we can recommend things to our audience. That might be a better example of the movie we just watched. I don't believe you. I think the we what? should just end here. You know. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Nobody's listening, so yeah. <laughs> I've said my piece. Exactly. They just turn off. They just turn that dial off. <laughs> their dial on their computer machines. Yeah, nice. <laughs> on their Apple 3s. Wait, they're not listening to this on an RCA radio? <laughs> Sadly not, Greg. Or, and I hope that they still have tuned in, because, or else they might miss our big, beautiful spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes, Spotlight is our signature section where we recommend something to the viewers. Exactly. Speak independently of one another. So, mm-hmm. so John, it sounds like you have something, something similar to Thumb and Louise, but better. Exactly. A true feminist tale. One of okay. my favorite movies from the 90s as well. It's a little okay. film called Fried Green Tomatoes. Ah. Have you seen this film, Greg? Of course. You and I have seen it together on cable. It's a basic cable classic. Of course. And it's a brilliant film. Um, mm-hmm. Although I do have a little anecdote um, A few years ago I watched it with my fiance And uh, about the first 15 minutes He told me, oh, okay, so this is like a lesbian romance story And I'm like, what? No! <laughs> this is a perfectly normal movie About two perfectly platonic normal friends Yeah And about five minutes later I'm like, oh my god, this is a lesbian love story <laughs> And then I look up Wait a the, minute <laughs> I look up the Wikipedia page The novel that it's based off of Is a lesbian love story <laughs> That they completely omitted for the movie. <laughs> okay, well, again, 92 was a different time. <laughs> exactly. It was It was not quite the enlightened time that we live in now. Yeah. But, John, go ahead. For anybody that doesn't know, go ahead and explain it, explain it to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fried Green Tomatoes is... It's, it's a frame story about mm-hmm. a, um, a kind of bored housewife. Played by the wonderful Kathy Bates. Yes. She's, she's, Oscar winner Kathy Bates. Again, she's in a very similar situation to Thelma. She's got a kind of unattentive, boorish husband who just kind of like mm-hmm. comes home, watches the game. It doesn't give her the sex she requires. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as a result, she kind of like, you know, she's, she's losing her feminine power. She's kind of like not in herself in her own body. And... Um, I forget the exact circumstances, but it's like they're visiting her mother-in-law or something like that. And she ends up running into Iggy. Iggy is played by Jessica Tandy. Mm-hmm. And Oscar she, winner, I believe. Uh, Oscar winner. And she uh, regales her stories of her laugh in Georgia back in the day between yep. her and her best friend, Ruth. Yep, at the old station. <laughs> yeah, yes, the old Whistle Stop Cafe. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the old with stops where they sell their eponymous cheesecake. <laughs> no, of course, it's fried greased tomatoes. Of course, and I think I, I think I said it was uh, George. Oh wait, sorry, it's Alabama. Like there's yeah. a difference. Ad, Who cares? Again, somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in the south. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere where it's too muggy. I'll never set foot. Exactly. And of course, they have to contend with racism. They have uh, several black hired hands, but you know, there's like obviously they have to deal with the clan and. Uh, Obviously, they're forbidden love. No, wait, that doesn't come into the movie at all. No, I <laughs> um, 
but no, it's just it's a lovely, sweet movie about a uh, female friendship, and sadly, uh, kind of goes into Steel Magnolia territories by the end. But um, it's a very so, sweet. Uh, John, you speak as if that's a bad thing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> No, but it's very sweet, and again, it's it's about female empowerment, and it doesn't kind of feel like it's talking down to you. And again, it is kind of a little cliched, I would say, obviously, with the fact that it's taking place in Alabama, and they deal with all the issues that you would imagine that people faced in Alabama in the 1920s. So, John, come on. It's set in Alabama. What else are you supposed to do? I guess that's true. <laughs> Well, again, make, make a movie about where how everybody got along and was great, and nobody was <laughs> mad because of the monkeyness. Um, I have an idea. How about a lesbian romance? Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Celluloid closet, much? Hmm. Well, John, I mean, did you read up on? The, did you read the novel at all? I mean, no, I haven't read the novel. Books are for losers. <laughs> Everyone knows this. I don't know. Maybe the book is trash. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Why would you assume the book is trash? It could be great. It, it's obviously good enough to have a movie, a great movie based on it. So I guess that's true. Yeah, although Hollywood's just thirsty for you know original content these days. Anything can turn to a franchise. So yeah. surprised James so, Patterson doesn't have like nine million projects in the work. Well, I'm sure he does. Just nobody, everybody who <laughs> everybody who reads James Patterson is too old to go out to the movie theater. Oh, so okay. That's the issue there. Their walkers are just so complicated. I know. The walkers, like, Johnny, if you tried to go anywhere with an old person, it's impossible. <laughs> That's the other thing. This movie centers around old people, but it doesn't imply that, you know, just because you get to that, their autumn years means that your life is over. So another Absolutely. kind of inspiring, a lot of inspiring messages of this movie. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like I don't need to oversell it because I assume that our audience has already seen it, or at least they should have, if they're smart, mm-hmm. erudite people, as I like to assume they are. So, But if you haven't, please, I implore you, check out Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> Greg, what do you have to represent your feminist bona fides? <laughs> um, something on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> it's about being a rogue. It's about being a man. A man in full. <laughs> And it's set in a in a weird fantasy land off in space. <laughs> since you can't like an old person, since you can't get your butt to the theater. Okay. I'm just gonna talk about I'm just gonna talk about solo solo here. <laughs> All right, fine. You know so what? you're just gonna have to have your sh- opinion shaped by me. Okay. From now on, you're Greg Solo. Okay. I've dubbed you Greg Solo. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, huge missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> the way in which Han Solo gets his name is that he he registers to be in the Empire. Mm-hmm. And they ask him what's his last his surname, and he says, "I don't know. I've never had one. I'm just Han." Mm. And that's when the imperial officer says, "Han Solo," and that that could have been a great laugh. He could have said, "Han alone," <laughs> and be like, "What? No, that's stupid." It could have been a great the human spider moment, but no, they spoiled it. They yeah, ruined it. exactly. Well, the human spider thing wasn't even that good in the original Spider-Man. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. All right. This is why I can't wait for the Obi-Wan Kenobi prequel, where it's like, Ben Kenobi, that sounds stupid. You should change your name. Yeah. In any event, uh, rough start to Solo. Not just at the box office, but also in the movie itself. (laughs) What? But it's Star Wars. Well, exactly. And and it kind of had a Rogue One problem where it was just action after action after action mm-hmm. so the there are three set pieces like very quick within one one another and we don't even know who the characters are yet and it's kind of banking on like oh you you know and love han solo you're invested automatically in watching him go through this well they're also here. they're also so invested because they don't know how it's going to end like when chewie's <laughs> falling off that train it's like oh no he could die here right <laughs> 
Well, exactly. So there's there, there's some comfort in these kind of spinoff movies, but exactly. In, in spite of in spite of like a rough start, it does finally um, kind of f- find its footing, and it does become a, a pretty interesting. No, well, I won't say interesting. Um, that's <laughs> it does become a fair space adventure movie, mm-hmm. um, like Deadpool two. Like you know, you won't feel as though you wasted your time or money okay. seeing it. All right, fair. Um, part of that is I, I will just give credit to Alden. Ar- Arinrich, however Ar- you pronounce his last name. Ar- 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 Solo. His last name is Solo now. So, so, yes. For it being a star-making performance in that he's one of a billion <laughs> and there's nothing that really stands out about him. <laughs> okay. Hey, he was great in Hail Caesar. He can yeah, sing, right he can dance. Caesar. Come on. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- he could he could exude some charm. and the, the problem is he's got, like, charm, but that's it. Oh, okay. And you feel like, and you could picture like eight thousand. It's kind of like, um, well, no, it's like James Franco. It, it's kind of like James Franco in the Disaster Artist. Like ten, ten people could have played Tommy Wiseau, and it's kind of the same case here. Well, no, it's like the like Han Solo is all charm, but the reason why it works in the original movie is because he's a side character. He's not the main character. You can't yeah, have your main character exude just charm, and that's it. Yeah, and here it's not until after the first act where he's kind of like the the kind of plucky young. He's kind of he becomes kind of a, a Luke Skywalker in his own story. He's kind of the the hanger on to a mentor played by Woody Harrelson, mm-hmm. um, the cool hotshot pilot played by uh, uh, played by Donald Glover playing Lando Calrissian, mm-hmm. and a few other characters. So again. What made Star Wars so interesting, and I, I believe some people have commented on this, is that Luke Skywalker originally was not the star of these kind of movies. Like, he was always the sidekick. And it's not until in the second and third act that, you know, Han Solo tries to step out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a, a much more interesting dramatically. Okay. Or he's required to step up to, you know, actually pilot the Millennium Falcon. Okay. So from that standpoint, it works. Mm-hmm. The problem is, like, as, as you know, there are no... There, well, there are some, like, double cross and things like that, but there's no surprises. You know exactly where this is going. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and you have to know that he's going to end up getting betrayed because there has to be a reason why he has a devil-may-care attitude and why yeah. he's so roguish in the first place. So obviously you kind of expect that the movie is <laughs> going to give him a reason to believe that way. Well, that's the thing. It, it doesn't really do that. This is more like a, like a side story. If, if Harrison Ford wasn't a fossil at this point, <laughs> it would just be like a, like a regular Han Solo movie because he's, he's always, you know, kind of that, that charming, you know, fool. Mm-hmm. That charming roguish fool throughout the whole movie, and yeah, it just uh, you you could feel him, you know, acting that way anyway, even if he didn't get betrayed by his uh, girlfriend played by Amelia Clark. Uh, or... Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything I can't spoil? I mean, come on, again, you know exactly how it's going to wind up. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's that, and also the, the one contract. There's something about these spinoff stories, and I felt this in Rogue One too. That it they're boring. Like the, the, <laughs> yeah, boring. Yeah, here's the analogy I make. It's like the hold music. It's like those Muzak covers of, of songs that you actually like. You're like, oh, you'll see a moment there. Like, oh, I recognize that, and I kind of like it. Or there's something familiar about that that works. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, you're just kind of bored. Mm. And this does a better job than Rogue One in terms of like actually actually investing in its characters and, and coming up with kind of creative solutions to things. But still, I mean, it's just like it, it feels like the appetizer, and the main course is those real Star Wars movies. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's also like they just don't, they don't have enough variety of things to do. It's like, how many more times can we see spaceships flying through the air, shooting each other down, that it becomes kind of boring, you know? Well, this does a better job of that, in that there's no epic space battles. Instead, what there is is kind of conflict between characters in the third act. Mm-hmm. So it gets, it's, better, it's better than Rogue One from that standpoint. It's a, it's a little more interesting. It's, it shows that they can do a little bit more 
in the Star Wars universe rather than just the same space battles, you know, lightsaber fights and force pushing and force <laughs> fights or whatever. Well, it's I don't also know. kind Again, of. Again, I'm not a Star Wars expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also kind of funny that both these prequel movies end up kind of being heist movies in spirit, maybe not so much in practice. Well, I, I'm thinking they're trying to go after. Like maybe like I think about Mission Impossible. That's kind of the template now for just a, a good international action movie, and maybe that's what they're trying to go for. Oh, characters either have to be on the run or pursuing something or infiltrating something. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what they're trying. The template they're trying to set with it within the Star Wars universe. Oh, see, I thought they were going more for the Marvel template. Obviously, with the amount of humor that was in the Last Jedi, and then should we talk about the surprise cameo? This cameo, yes. Well, you've spoiled this for yourself, so shame on you. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, because obviously I was gonna be like, guess my mouth would be agape in the theater, like, oh my goodness, Darth Maul is in this picture. Yes, spoiler alert: Darth Maul makes a cameo appearance, and it, it's thankfully it's better than um, Darth Vader becoming a horror movie villain at the end of Rogue One. <laughs> Here it's just kind of like a like a little teaser, like we see who's kind of the, like we just dispose of a, a bad guy, but there's another big bad ahead of him. Oh no, it's Darth Maul. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> Clap, you know, applause sign flashing. Do they show off his like robot legs or something like that? How does yeah, he? Well, that's the thing. They kind of hint at the robot leg. This is what I was talking about with like friends. Like, wait, where does this fit in the timeline if if Darth Maul is still alive? But he clearly has one robot leg. But like, how did he survive the fall? And it it makes no sense. I don't know why they couldn't just pick. I don't, just, you know, and make it, make it anybody. Why even have him? <laughs> like, just well, Greg, if you make Paul Bettany the big bad, I don't know. Yeah, Greg, if you if you watch the uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series on Disney Channel, you would know that he actually survived the crash. I'm not doing. <laughs> of course, of course, these nerds would like more homework, and more to more to consume. <laughs> But again, it's like, it's the Marvelification of Star Wars, where it's like, instead of these kind of like, nice three-act structures, beginning, middle, and end, now we have to kind of like, put in Easter eggs and teases for potential, like, seed ideas for potential future movies. And again, that's the point everyone's making, is like, oh, you know, this was seeding a Boba Fett movie, or this was seeding an Obi-Wan movie. And that's why I almost like... I'm 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 protesting. Like I'm boycotting. Nice. Like I, not in like a you know angry. It's, yeah, like, there there is a the, pointlessness to it. Yeah, You're right. The, 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 the SJWs are ruining Star Wars. No, it's like, <laughs> it's like no, the nerds are. <laughs> well, I won't say the nerds. Yeah, I won't, this whole yeah. yearly Star Wars plan. Like, what made Star Wars special is the fact that there was so little of it. There was only six original movies, and now they're giving us mm. more, and they're fine. But it's like, don't oversaturate the market with dumb prequels that have no consequence or no dramatic stakes whatsoever. Well, and no creativity. I think this is one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I think one of the reasons you and I like Deadpool in that there's so much like kind of time jumping and mm-hmm. the difference between it being sincere and also fourth wall breaking. There was something very creative about that movie, mm-hmm. and that, which kind of reformulated the whole superhero template. Yeah. And they haven't done anything like that in terms of the kind of Star Wars universe, because maybe there isn't, there isn't much you can do other than, you know, big spaceship battles, lightsaber fights, and the Force. Well, no, it's like, I mean, Deadpool kind of came at a perfect time because, again, the market is so saturated at this point. And it's, but Star Wars, it's it's not so ubiquitous. It's very specific. It's like you mm-hmm. don't have DC, like, coming out with its own version of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you can't really do that. And again, you're right, because it is very limiting. You know, it's supposed to take place in this one single universe. It's supposed to have this very specific look to it. 
whereas like the Marvel films and you know these other kind of nebulous cinematic universes can obviously have a little more room to play with. Granted, none of them have worked out, and none of them been good except for the Marvel one. But like, don't yeah. don't try to squeeze Star Wars into the Play-Doh mold of the star when clearly it wants to be a circle. Come on. Well, I. That's the thing, John. Uh, filmmaking is fashion. Uh, I guess. So what's in right now is they have to follow that trend for the moment. But and hopefully Star Wars can kind of survive it. And well, it's like hopefully. Hey, here's an idea. We get some new ideas. <laughs> but that's the thing. Star Wars should be the trend setter, not the trend follower. Yeah, I guess. I mean, come on. But, like uh, the world changed after 1977. Everything was chasing Star Wars, and now to have Star Wars chasing other trends, it just it feels wrong. Like, that's why the prequels are so special, because nothing about those <laughs> makes them work at all, because they're not following the trends. Oh, you want to see exciting space battles? No, I'm going to give you a political, you know, nonsense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have you people sitting on a couch. <laughs> I'm going to have this character complain about sand. <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, I mean, yeah, okay, you, you're obviously abstaining from Solo. <laughs> I'm just... I'm t- you're obviously very, very invested in this boycott, where you're like... <laughs> Disney, how dare you treating my girl wrong? <laughs> my girl, Star Wars. Exactly. She's my baby. I have ownership. I made this happen. This is true. I mean, we I'm saw so- that. We... I'm sorry, Kathleen Kennedy. Did you buy your tickets for the 1970, 1997 special edition? Because uh, our mom did. I think we watched it like twice in the theaters when that came out. Oh, yeah. We saw like, and we had the VHSs. Uh, we've, we've... I know. We've invested so much. So, Kathleen Kennedy, come on, give us a call. I know. Okay. We'll help you fix again. It can, like it can get any worse. Hundred million dollar uh, Memorial Day opening, please. Come on, I know. Get some new blood in there. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it worked so much. It worked so well last time when you hired a duo to direct your film. So why not do it again? <laughs> yeah, we're available. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, Greg, we're gonna be we're we're gonna be so busy coming up with new Star Wars ideas. So how should people reach out to us in the intervening time? Well, yeah. If you have new Star Wars ideas and you want to, you know, bounce them off us, or we could just, or we could just steal them. <laughs> That's true. Or shoot them down. This is what I like to. I can high road these folks. Ah, yes. <laughs> and explain why your ideas are stupid. <laughs> Robot legs. Come on. <laughs> Go ahead and reach out to us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're both there. We're both monitoring those pages. I mean, they're dead zones right now. So if you can, <laughs> I mean, just go recommend ahead. a movie to us, and we'll shit all over it for an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> no, not, no, not not denigrated, but implore to be better. No. I think we did find a lot of ways that uh, Stelman and Louise can improve. I guess that's. And true, I feel yeah. like we can do the same for the Star Wars universe. And it also gave us an excuse to recommend some other movies that we thought were better. So yeah, come yeah. on, guys. Send mm-hmm. us an email at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com with your comments and recommendations. And after we take your recommendation, do something for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done something for you. I mean, obviously, it's not exactly in the way that you wanted it um, <laughs> if we just make fun of your favorite movie. <laughs> but please go to your podcast service of choice, whether it be Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Acast, Player FM. Go ahead and leave us a review. Mm-hmm. Uh, five stars, please. <laughs> Prayer hands. I don't think it's too much to ask. Yeah. I mean, if you're unless you're really struggling hovering over the fifth star, like if you can only make it to four because you're old and infirm, I understand, but, you know, do your best. John, I feel like we've made fun of enough old people today. <laughs> okay. Anyway, if people feel like tuning in next week, which I'm not sure they do, but... Mm-hmm. John, what are we watching next week so that they can watch along with us? Next week we'll be doing an art film. Ooh. Yes. 
I, you're probably not going to, it's the middle of June, you'll probably be on vacation, you won't be listening anyway, so. <laughs> or they need a good podcast, a nice relaxing podcast for their road trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. They'll be driving through true. the Arizona desert, away from the cops, trying to get to Mexico. Mm-hmm. So no, why don't you... You can't hear anything in a 66 Thunderbird. No. I mean, the th- top's down, I mean, it's, you got to really crank that. It didn't have a good enough stereo. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> so next week we'll be watching Qua... Uh, Qua... 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 You know that documentary with the Philip Glass music <laughs> over the over the time lapse footage of cities and stuff like that? It's that movie. We'll be watching that movie. Koyatska's tea, yeah, I believe. <laughs> visitors. We'll Amer- be watching I, visitors. I believe it's a Hopi word. Yeah, it's Hopi for like out of balance or something like that. Um, here, we'll we'll send out the name. We'll get the official spelling. You can watch along with us. Mm-hmm. They got a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. Uh, well, we had it on the schedule for a few, a few times, but it kept getting bumped. Well, yeah, because it's a it's a wordless documentary. <laughs> Not exactly mainstream fair, but you know that's what this uh, that's what this podcast is about: aspiring to snobdom. So, John, let's do it. Exactly, we're already there. John, take my hand. <laughs> I'm put I'm putting my foot on the gas. <sighs> Greg, I'll never leave you. Let's just drive. <laughs> yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep us far. Oh! <laughs>